Hey everybody, this is Austin with the Foul Language Podcast. So, unfortunately, we had some scheduling conflicts with Mr. Dwayne Ludwig, and we were unable to get him on the show as scheduled this week, but we were able to fill in this episode with a fantastic man, Mr. Bobby Cumbie. You're really going to enjoy this interview, and hopefully sometime in the future we can get things worked out with Mr. Ludwig to get him on the show. Sorry for all you that were extremely excited for this as we were. We will keep working and enjoy this episode. And welcome back to another magnificent episode of the Foul Language Podcast. Here in the Foul Language Studio, we have a magnificent episode coming for you guys today. Joining me as always, my brother, Alex Stanley. He kind of went over like he was going to go to you first and he switched it up. Maybe. I don't, I don't, I don't he, he, can't, he can't tell with his glasses on who he's looking at. Yeah, that's right. It's exactly Jim Jones right. looking motherfucker. You. <laughs> <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't even right. No, this is Gage Stanley sitting right here. Always a pleasure to be back. So thankful to have you here, Gage. We we uh, we feel like the show's really taken a massive step forward since you've joined us. It's uh, you bring a whole other aspect to the show. We we can't thank you enough. You bring you bring your A game every time you come. Just like looking us up with Bobby Comby, man. This guy's unreal. This this episode is is going to be very fantastic. I know I enjoyed this interview. So probably much. the most interesting man I've ever met, without a doubt, without a doubt. And but before we get off on Bobby a little bit, I would like to say what he brings to the studio is that ass is toy very tight, <laughs> very tight. Like, like, like it, it's it's lovely to look at, Lo- lovely to look at, delightful to hold, but break it and consider it sold. Exactly. <laughs> that is uh, that beautiful words. Words of wisdom. 100%. 100%. Now, we got a great episode. Like I said, we got a lot coming up. We have a one on one interview with Bobby Cumbie, uh, owner of Krav Magad 911, located in Valdosta, Georgia. Uh, we had about an hour long interview talking to him about his life. Um, very interesting. What was your favorite part of this interview, Alex? Well, we want you to go listen to it, obviously, because it's, I mean, you're going to love it. But the, the, I guess the thing I took away more from it than anything is this man is, it, he is a man among men. And he, like, I mean, all the things he's accomplished in his life, and we only got into an hour of it. I mean, we could have spent the whole, like, three hours, you know, arguing. And he's an impressive, impressive human being. I absolutely agree. Yeah. 100%. 100%. But before we get around to that, what's been going on with you guys this weekend? Matthew was here for the interview, uh, so we can't talk too much shit about him. He's a busy man. You know, he's got a lot going on. So uh, We don't have to. It looks like the Bengals are doing enough for him. Ooh, that is a sick burn. That's a shot there, Matthew. That is a sick burn. So how, how's your weekend been, Alex? I know you just kind of got home, so what do you, what do you got planned going on? Honestly, not a whole lot. Just gonna relax and a little bit of R and R, you know. Gonna work, skiller. So just trying to survive that, you know. But I, glad to be here doing this with you guys as always. It's a, it's a blast. One hundred percent. We're glad you're here, Gage. Um, we've got a lot of work to do out on the golf course. Yes, we do. Me and Gage went and played a little golf yesterday, Alex. Although, in all fairness, playing better ball, I mean, we are best ball, we still got a 51, which is not that bad of a score. That's no, not, not bad at all. 
It's not an easy. They're across cities. It's not an easy. Of course, he's old. We should probably clarify that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. So a 50 out of like the twenty-seven you could golf there, it would have been like a one fifty-three out of twenty-seven holes. Yeah, yeah, roughly. I, I think what was par on the nine hole that we played, it was like thirty-nine. I think was par. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah anyway. Not too bad, especially not for a course that you've never played before, and a course that I've only played once. So, yeah, we didn't do too bad. Not not playing in a while. I was a little rusty, but we're gonna get there. And they also, it was, it was very cold. We get a chance to warm up. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of people out there. It was it was a beautiful day yesterday. So, but there was a lot of people there. It was crowded. Yeah, for sure. That's. I think I heard Pat McAfee say this. The only reason it's called golf is because fuck was already taken. <laughs> That's exactly right. I dropped a lot of that yesterday, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. So uh, we're gonna watch the rest of this Cincinnati and Buffalo game. So we got some stuff to talk about later. But right now, let's get into this Bobby Cumbie episode. This episode of the Foul Language Podcast is brought to you by Dubby Energy, the clean energy drink scientifically formulated to give you laser-like focus to tackle the day without jitters or a crash after. Use promo code FOUL44 at checkout, that's F-O-U-L-4-4, and receive a 10% discount off your total order. Cut out all that nasty motherfucking sugar and start drinking Dubby Energy today. This episode of the Foul Language Podcast is brought to you by Blowout Cards. Guys, this card shop is incredible. If you're into trading cards, sports cards, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Garbage Pail Kids, it doesn't matter what you like. Check out BlowoutCards.com for all of your trading card needs. Ladies and gentlemen, founder and owner of Krav Maga 911 in Valdosta, Georgia, and retired U.S. Air Force, Bobby Cumbie. Uh, yeah. Right. Bobby, it's great to have you on the show, man. I hope you're doing well today. Um, you know, we're super thankful to have you here. I know everybody agrees with me. We, uh, you're a very interesting man. We're very excited to uh, hear your story. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, it's an honor to be here with you, gentlemen. So, uh, tell us a little bit about your school, your uh, Krav Maga school down in uh, Valdosta, Georgia. Okay, um, so again, um, our school name, Krav Maga 911 Valdosta. Um, I established the school here back in January of 2013. Um, and so uh, we, uh, we have basically three divisions in our school. Um, we have our licensing division, which um, covers the civilian side of the house training, uh, civilian personnel. And then I'm also... Uh, certified uh, with the military and law enforcement. So uh, we kind of cover all the spectrums, if you will. Just one second. Mm -hmm. Okay, sorry, but we had some sound issues there. Just for a second, now we'll get going here. So, in, uh, you're from Gospel in Georgia. So, you, you said you got started. Um, Sorry, Sorry, I got a little distracted. <laughs> <laughs> no, you good. So, so what? Uh, so, kind of starting out, I guess, kind of explain to the people, the audience, for you know, that don't really know what Krav Maga. Kind of, kind of give us a rundown of what that, what that means. All right, absolutely. So, 
<clears throat> Krav Maga is Israeli in martial arts and self-defense. Um, and uh, the KM for Krav Maga is um, uh, Hebrew basically for hand-to-hand combat. Um, it is not classified as a uh, sport fight like a lot of uh, martial arts styles are. Um, it is termed and deemed real-world self-defense. Um, and it originated our founder, Emi. Uh, uh, he was actually Hungarian. And Emi got retained. He was a world-class boxer, and uh, he's actually developed uh, the system of Krav Maga. Um, and the Israeli military wanted a system that worked literally for everybody, for real-world attack situations, real-world defense. So he developed the system um, and uh, took it to Israel. And, of course, uh, they loved it. Uh, it uh, their special ops and uh, special units used it. Um, and then their military just adopted the system. And even to this day, um, they uh, they still use Krav Maga. Uh, that is the premier system that they use. It has to work for everybody, um, male, female, tall, short, fat, skinny. Nothing matters because in Israel, everybody must serve minimum of two years in their military. So they had to have a system that was real world and work for anybody in, in spite of the size and strength. So, again, and. Uh, you know, it's not a sport fight, uh, you know, in sport fighting, you know, you can't gouge somebody's eyes out or, you know, kick them in the nuts or, you know, <laughs> things of that nature. You can't bite their carotid artery out. <laughs> now, what what elements of uh, other martial arts would you say that uh, Krav Maga kind of relates to? Like, you know, jiu-jitsu came from uh, judo and, and things of that nature. Uh, what, what do you think it's uh, closest to as far as what it borrows from other martial arts? Oh, well, the the beauty of Krav is it is literally made up of all the other systems. Um, for example, you know, jujitsu, um, you know, a lot of uh, the uh, jujitsu world, um, majority of the time on the ground, we do ground fighting as well. Um, buck trap and roll in Krav Maga is buck bridge and roll in jujitsu, for example. Okay. Um, the Muay Thai element of striking, round kicks. Uh, things of that nature, boxing, the movement, uh, head movement, you know, things of that nature. Uh, so uh, the beauty of Krav, like I said, is it's literally made up of almost any and every other style and system that is out there. Um, and again, the biggest difference is, and, you know, and and again, I've, I've trained in jujitsu as well as you, um, you know, we can't uh, while we're rolling on the ground, you know, we can we can tap somebody out, you know, by an arm bar, but in a uh, crowd, my God, somebody's literally just put their hands on you. So just go ahead and break the arm, get up and get out of there safely. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, get to learn a little bit about you personally, like what led you or what I guess drew you to this style of fighting style in martial arts? Like what was the, when did you get into this? I guess is what I'm asking. Okay. All right. Reader's digest version of, uh, of Bobby. Um, I've got a, a martial arts background. Um, I've been training uh, pretty much since I was, I think, six years old. Uh, my dad, uh, he, uh, my hero, uh, he was a uh, retired uh, military as well. Uh, he served in every branch but the Air Force, believe wow. it or not. So, yeah. So he's a Marine. He did three years in the Marines. Uh, then he was in the uh, Navy, did four years in the Navy. He was a SEAL. Uh, lateraled over into the army. He was a ranger and a green beret. So you talk about a true American hero. 
what you're saying uh, is a total badass. Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I tried my dad once when I started smelling myself when I turned 16. <laughs> and when I woke up. <laughs> never did it again. I never, never did, did it again. But uh, he and my younger, bro- uh, um, my younger brother, uh, my dad always, you know, he trained us. Um, and uh, and his uh, big style, he was a you know, huge into karate. Uh, Shotokan was his, his bread and butter. He loved that style in that system. So, um, you know, he uh, he trained us in that. And I've also got a, a black belt in uh, Shotokan. But uh, long and short is, again, um, I've, I've had that martial art background. So um, how did I get into Krav Maga? I ran the training section. I got assigned to an anti-terrorism team in San Antonio, Texas. And again, uh, that's at, as a special agent. Yeah. And, and literally our job was to, uh, you know, hunt down, capture and kill terrorists. That's what we did. And business was good. So, <laughs> but we had to, again, almost like uh, with Israel, we had to have a system that worked uh, for everybody. And so uh, running the training section there, uh, my headquarters, you know, they call me and say, hey, we need a system that works. So you need to find it. And, and they knew I had a martial arts background. So um, I became a, a Army combative instructor. That really wasn't a good fit for what we was uh, needing to do. Um, I became an Air Force combative instructor. Same deal. I went through Spear, Crucible. Uh, ISR, you, you name it, all these, uh, I got all these instructor certifications trying to find a good fit um, until uh, one of uh, the special agents who owns a school in Maryland called and he says, why are you spinning your wheels, man? You need to look at Krav Maga. And believe it or not, even with a martial arts background, I had never really heard of the system. So I called uh, Los Angeles and uh, they sent a couple of instructors out. I was one of the uh, 10 uh, first uh, special agents to get certified as a Krav Maga instructor. And honestly, and that was on the military side. Um, so I, that was my actual first instructor certification was a military um, instructor. And I love the system so much. I kid you not. Uh, and I saw its effectiveness. I had to use it. Um, again, about Bobby, I've got, you know, eight deployments to Iraq, four to Afghanistan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Hungary, Croatia, you name it. I've been there, done it. And I've actually had to use Krav. Um, and it's built off of muscle memory. So in a, oh my God, holy shit situation, uh, somebody put their hands on you. You shouldn't think, okay, gee, what should I do? Your body should react before your mind even catches up. And so I love the system so much when I left San Antonio and, uh, when I retired, I decided to get certified on the civilian side and teach it to civilians because, again, with the military instructor certification, I could only teach military elements. And so go ahead. Oh, I, I was just curious. How long did you spend um, in San Antonio when you were based there? OK, so I spent um, a total of five years there. My first two years, um, I was stationed at Kelly Air Force Base and uh and while I was there, um, I was, you know, a, again, a special agent, but I wasn't into the counterintelligence and terrorism world. I was uh, into more of the uh, federal level crimes, uh, things of that nature. Um, and then while I was there, um, we actually closed my detachment and my mentor asked me to come to the anti-terrorism team, uh, which was at Lackland. So I just went from one base in San Antonio to the next base right across the street and uh and I spent three years on that anti-terrorism team. And uh, so that, again, that's how my first interaction. Um, and that was back in 2001. 
So I actually started training in Krav and got it certified as an instructor, you know, and I've been teaching it for well over 20 years now. Uh, so. so were you, were you in it? Um, were you, I'm assuming you were in the, the military like pre 9-11 or so you were sitting yes. in 2001. So mm-hmm. I would imagine that was a very crazy time. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, yeah. So when 9-11 happened, um, I was actually on a surveillance um, and I was in the uh, Virginia area uh, when it happened. And so um, a group of uh, agents that I was there with, uh, we got diverted and uh, ended up having to, you know, ended up having to go and do some support there um, in the area. But a uh, very, very trying time. Uh, you know, 9-11 was no joke. And again, um, because that happened, uh, you know, uh, anti-terrorism teams were very important. And obviously our missions picked up and, <laughs> and uh, overseas every time I turned around, you know. Let me ask you a question, if you don't mind. Uh, so I know let, let's from purely a weapons perspective, before we get into Krav Maga, when you're in a tight situation, you know, they kind of teach you uh, quick hands pistol first if you're not able to get to your main weapon. In mm-hmm. in Krav Maga, would you say that you've trained your mind to go to a certain quick move or quick maneuver that's kind of like your you know, metaphorically speaking, a pistol, so to speak. Does that make sense, what I'm asking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we train at the, at a level or at least try to get your uh, mind and body at a level to where in an emergency situation, for example, if somebody, if I'm, I, again, I, I carry my weapon all the time, uh, especially in today's crazy-ass world. So um, if in an emergency situation, if somebody pulls a knife on me or pulls a gun on me, I'm not going to necessarily try to access my weapon. And here's why is because my body is a weapon, right? Yeah, absolutely. My body is a weapon. My body is the first weapon that I have. The fastest thing I have on my body is my hand. So if somebody pulls a knife on me, I'm, I'm going for the immediate disarm. If it's in close proximity, if there's space and distance, um, then I'll continue to create space and distance. And then I'll use something else as a weapon or I'll access my own. But majority of the time, attackers, they're not going to pull a knife on you 15 you know, feet away. They're going right. to come right up on you and, and present that weapon to you because that's their power. Right. Uh, failing to understand that, hey, my mindset is my body is a weapon and I'm about to disarm you and, uh, you know, with vicious, violent, you know, right. counterattacks until I can access my own weapon or just disarm you altogether and use your own weapon against you. Same principle with a handgun, too. Yeah. Most people don't uh, don't you know, stand 10, 15 feet away. They come up and they literally present that gun within arm's reach. And if that's the case and I'm carrying my weapon, uh, my first reaction is, again, my hand's the fastest thing I have on my body. I need to go ahead with a disarm and then I can access my weapon or use yours against you. Yeah, so that's, yeah, absolutely. So circling back to how we were talking about terrorism and your uh, counterterrorism unit, is that the first move you would try to go to is disarm first and then assess the situation after? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've literally had to do that. We were servicing a target package uh, in Iraq and uh, we were looking for uh, some, you know, uh, we serviced a package and we're looking for four four terrorists. We found three of the four. Uh, Could not find a fourth one. And, you know, we had already holstered up and secured our weapons and stuff. It was about, you know, three in the morning, you know, that element of surprise. Go ahead and kick in some doors early morning. And lo and behold, don't know where he came from, but here comes, you know, 
Joe Terrace down the hallway of a Divania, and all I saw was the uh, barrel of an AK-47. It wasn't my first reaction to go for my weapon and try to engage. My first reaction was, you know, hey, he's in arm's distance. And so I immediately went for a disarm and uh, got a got got a chance to smash him in the face and roll up number four. <laughs> <laughs> and that is one thing I've noticed uh, from the videos you posted as far as the difference between Krav Maga and other martial arts is it just seems it's a uh, very fast, fast paced and uh, overwhelming. You know, just uh, overwhelm your opponent. What would you say? Absolutely. Oh, very, very accurate. Um, you know, you've heard the term, you know, who's the biggest kid on the block, who's the baddest kid on the block, but in an emergency, holy shit situation, you've got to be the biggest, baddest kid on the block. Um, and so, and again, you've seen some of the videos that we post, their vicious, violent counterattacks. Uh, you know, some, some people have that mindset, oh, you know, Krav Maga is such a, a vicious system. It's, uh, you know, it's such a violent system. Well, you're absolutely right. It is. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the nature of the beast. That's, we, you know, we're not, we're not here to, to, you know, smell incense and listen to Tchaikovsky's piano concert on number five. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're here to do damage and, and assess the situation and get home safely. That's what it's about. And now understand um, that on the civilian side, uh, and especially because we uh, uh, um, we have our, our lawyer and our attorney here. Uh, <laughs> right here. <laughs> hey, man, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> I, I teach all the time self-defense, self-defense, self-defense. Okay, so once you have taken safe control of that situation, you know, we do the minimum amount of uh, damage and, and use the minimum amount of force necessary to complete that task. And once that task is completed, you know, we don't, okay, you know, so uh, we don't just do a drive-by boot to the head, you know, once we <laughs> negated that situation. We always assess, 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 because it's a difference between self-defense and assault, um, obviously so. And in the law enforcement world, obviously we have to play on a little bit different scale. Um, you know, a lot of these agencies out here, unfortunately, you know, they go through the academy and then the last time they did any kind of combatives or, or any type of, you know, training in terms of searching, handcuffing, control, compliance has been, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago when they went through the academy. Um, and they're doing their self or their agencies no service at all. Um, and so when we're teaching our military and our law enforcement, the same principle applies, you know, minimum amount of force necessary to complete the task. But uh, as a officer, a badge carrier, or even a military person, you can't always just go around smashing people in the face. So um, there's a different set of skills that we teach them that are not necessarily previewed to the civilian um, uh, community out there, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of, you know, with the, I guess you look at the way that the world the world is, the United States is, with the, the issues with the police and things like that. So I, I always I was curious about your opinion on it, and we're, we're pro-police here 1,000%. Do you think that, that a lot of these issues that happen in this country where maybe these officers aren't trained to the level of which they should be, do you, do you think that's if, – if they train more officers the way that you're saying they need to be trained, do you think that would really help with a lot of the issues in this country with – Police the run-ins with the police and the, the civilians. They're giving one, the police more confidence. Yes. One yes. billion percent. One billion percent. Absolutely. It all comes down, in my opinion, 
to training. Um, and unfortunately, in a lot of these departments, and let's just let's just cut to the chase. Some of these departments hire officers, um, you know, and they pass their screening and stuff. And some of these officers have never even played a contact sport. They've never been hit, punched, you know, never been in a, in a fight. And I'm not saying that should be a prerequisite. I'm just saying that's a reality. Mm-hmm. And then they put they, they give them a badge, give them a gun, and they do these mock scenarios while they're going through the academy. Got it. But then you stick them out there on the street. And the first time, uh, you know, they're trying to, uh, you know, uh, serve a warrant or, you know, do a, some type of a apprehension of someone. And that person turns around and, you know, punches them in the face or whatever. They've got zero training or they haven't trained in, you know, how to handle that situation. And the first thing they want to do is, unfortunately, go to their weapon. When you're um, scared, you overreact. Exactly. Do, do you think it's a lack of... Well, I don't want to say a lack of, but do you think it's this mindset? Like, why are they not doing this training more? Like, why are, in your opinion, why are they not taking this more seriously, this this kind of hand-to-hand combat, like you're saying, so that it doesn't escalate to someone getting shot? Is it just a lack of motivation to want to do it, or are they so set in their ways that, hey, we've done this for this long and we're going to continue to do it this way? Or what, what do you think the problem there is? All of the above. Unfortunately, all of the above. And it, and it comes down to leadership. I understand sometimes it may come down to funding, but that's not an excuse um, because I'll give you a, a, an example here. Um, I won't call the department's name, but um, I offered free training to a police department. OK, free training. And the leadership should have, in my opinion, jumped all over that because, again, uh, you know, Absolutely. you know, uh, but they they didn't. Um, it, and I don't understand why I'm like, wait a minute, you've got an individual that wants to give you new techniques. Bad guys. See, that's another problem. Bad guys are always training, always mm-hmm. training. And uh, and I can tell you, MS-13, Crip, Blood, you name it, um, you know, they're always training. But unfortunately, uh, law enforcement, we're not. It's the difference between a job and a life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, you know, if it if it comes down to the funding piece, um, you departments make certain things requirement. Okay, it's mandatory, Um, and they did the same thing with my agency. Uh, You, you, it was mandatory. You have to fire your weapon and qualify. Okay. And it's mandatory. You have to go in proficiency fire. So they allocate money and funds for a round so that you can go and you can shoot once a year or once a quarter, um, you know, run 50 rounds down range. And that all, all of a sudden that makes me an expert in weapons. I don't think so. Um, but then they're not making it mandatory for, you know, uh, uh, combatives training. They're not making it mandatory for searching, handcuffing, compliance and control techniques. And again, it comes right back to why, if, you know, because. Now you've got these officers on the street, which what are they more likely to encounter having to put their hands on somebody or having to pull their gun? Absolutely. And if the answer is having to put their hands on somebody, well, don't you think that that should be part of their damn training? I mean, come on, let's let's be real. Well, especially with a a system that was developed almost exclusively for that. Exactly. And it, it almost makes too much sense. Right. Let's we have this. We have these. Things that we can train our officers to be better so that these run-ins are not lethal. And, but it just makes too much sense in this country. It seems like, like oh, we got something there that's a great idea, but let's just completely fucking ignore it. You know? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and you know, and I'm not going to say that, 
uh, you know, again, you know, Crawford's not the know-it-all, be-it-all, but for crying out loud, if um, there's a, you know, research team that's no kidding, just that, that's what we do. We research and we are worldwide, not just in the U.S. And we find out, hey, what's really going on out there? What's working? What's not working? And then we develop these techniques so that we can keep, you know, people safe out there, not just on the military law enforcement side, but on the civilian side as well. Um, you know, the principle applies across the board. And so we, we, we have to keep up with the times, I guess, is basically what I'm trying to say. Um, because if you got uh, when I first learned searching and handcuffing, you know, OK, you, you know, put your hands on top of your head and get up against the wall and spread your feet. OK, got it. But there is no way on God's green earth that I will ever search or handcuff anybody ever again up against a vehicle or up against a wall is because guess what? Um, we have uh, informants or sources or whatever you want to call them that are uh, with these gangs and they're telling us, hey, look, <laughs> we're training on how to break a police officer's, uh, you know, wrist and take their weapon and shoot them. You're kidding. Not That's kidding. fascinating. Yeah. It, yeah. We, I literally had one tell me that, hey, this is what we're training on. We're training that, hey, we want you to say, all right, get up against the vehicle and or get up against the wall and spread your feet. Because as soon as you come up and you start making that approach, all I have to do is put my head down and look. As soon as I see your foot down there, I've got you. I own you at that point, and you don't even know it as the officer. And as soon as you start putting your hands on me to search me, I'm going to do a really quick takedown to the ground and take your weapon. And I've literally uh, showed uh, some uh, Lowndes County and uh, sheriff's officers and Valdosta police officers and some Georgia Bureau of Investigations uh, uh, agents uh, the techniques that they're training on out there now. And they were just blown away with it. They're like, holy crap. And then I, in turn, taught them the new, safer way to do it, the way you don't have to put your life in danger by doing it the old school way. And that makes sense. I mean, if you know all you all you know is procedure and you know nothing past that, that's easy to train against. Exactly. You know, have it, they, it, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that down there in Georgia where you live, are, are, there, are they more receptive to this, to you and what you're trying to accomplish down there? Like, have they been very receptive to, to, to what you're trying to get done? Yes, um, they've been receptive to it. Um, I go out to the military base out here, Moody Air Force Base. Um, I teach out there on Tuesdays and Thursdays. They've retained me to come out there and teach out there. Um, and then even in my school, I've got uh, police officers that uh, come and train in my school. I got military personnel that come and train. So they're receptive to it. Um, and again, there's one or two departments that haven't necessarily jumped on board yet. Um, and I, I'm not trying to speak this into their life whatsoever, but unfortunately, it's, it, it's going to take something bad to happen before they open their, before leadership opens their eyes and goes, oh, you know what? Holy shit. Maybe it's a good idea for you know, us to do this now, or maybe it's a good idea for us to try to get more advanced training. Um, you know, you again, you have to keep up with what's going on, uh, you know, in, in today, which is why in my school, Krav Maga 911 Valdosta, uh, even on the back of our shirts, it says self-defense for the modern world, because that's that's what you have to have. You have to have techniques that are going to work for this world we're living in now. And it's such a... It's such a negative thing that, like you said, it's going to take some sort of tragedy, someone really getting hurt or killed before people wake up to this. I mean, you have all you see all these run ins and everything all the time and you're just like, this is the worst possible outcome. And, and 
from what you're saying, it, it doesn't have to be that way. And it's very upsetting. Absolutely. I'm curious, Bobby, if you don't mind me asking, is there a huge difference between the way you train civilians and the way you train uh, law enforcement and the way you train military? Um, there, I won't say it's a difference in the way I train them. Um, there is a, believe it or not, um, a, a certain way that uh, I do teach. Um, I've got the um, uh, instructor manuals and all of this other good stuff, you know, uh, here in the office. But when uh, I train my coaches and then I mandate my coaches train the students a certain way, because I'm again, I'm licensed and certified through Krav Maga Worldwide, which is located in Los Angeles. And so I had to go through their instructor courses on all three of their uh, certifications. Again, you know, the civilian, the law enforcement and the military. Um, so there's I won't say it's a, a difference in our style of teaching. And, and I will just say it's a difference of what we teach, because the civilians can't learn certain law enforcement and military techniques, if that makes sense to you. So, so kind of a kind of a weird question here. You, you know, with your military background and everything, and, and you know, you, you said you were counterterrorism and all that. Where do you think the Where do you think this country is right now? Are we Are we in this situation? Do you, in your opinion, do you think that we should be as worried about the state of things going on in the world as as what we were, say, post nine eleven? Remember how the how unified the country was and everything at that time? Do you think it's where 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 should should we be worried? Right my personal opinion i think so um and you said something really really important uh after 9 11 we we unified okay we unified as a country we unified as military we we're like well, no you don't you just you know you, you just put your hands on us um you're gonna pay for that uh and we banded together uh, as a country, you know, we had that one common cause, you know, as to, Hey, let's stop terrorists dead in their tracks, you know, uh, no pun intended dead in their tracks. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, and that's what we did. I mean, you know, everybody, the, you know, we, we had the support of literally, you know, the, the world behind us and, you know, all of our allies. And I think we now, unfortunately have reached a point of complacency. Yeah. Every year, uh, you know, hey, let's, you know, 9-11, don't let's, you know, let's not forget, you know, lest we forget. Um, and that's pretty much it, you know. Uh, but I think we've kind of gotten a little bit of a little comfort zone. Um, oh, nothing's going to happen. Everything is good again. Um, and that's unfortunately when something bad can happen. With the with the same the increase of, of small crime, you know, theft, robbery, things like that. In today's age, do you see an increase of people wanting to learn Krav Maga or some kind of self-defense in some kind of way? Absolutely. Um, and it's so funny because even when, uh, you know, the pandemic hit, um, I know a lot of schools took a hit, you know, um, but uh, fortunately, you know, that we weren't in that case. We actually increased our membership uh, when 9-11, I mean, not 9-11, but uh, when uh, the pandemic happened. Um, because people were looking for something to do and they're like, Hey, you know what, if I got to be here at the house or if I, you know, uh, what, what can I do to, you know, for self-improvement? 
And so uh, that's when we had a, a lot of our Zoom classes going on as well. But I have seen a trend where people are like, hey, you know what? This world is, you know, seriously fucked up that we're living in right now. Um, you know, you somebody takes your, you know, uh, a parking, you take the parking place at Walmart. I literally saw this, uh, that somebody didn't, you know, that they were trying to get. And all of a sudden there's a confrontation in the parking lot over a damn parking space. You know, uh, it, it's it's just a reach a ridiculous point now. Um, and so I have seen an increase where people actually do want to invest, you know, um, time and, and money into learning, you know, self-defense, um, be it crop or some other style, learn something. Now you mentioned the zoom classes. So do you offer like, for instance, somebody in, in Bristol, Virginia or Tennessee wanted to learn from you? Uh, do you offer distance learning? Actually not, not at this time we did. Um, and then once, uh, you know, we were actually able to, you know, go hands on again, um, we kind of discontinued that because, um, yes, Zoom training, you can get you can learn from that, but there's no better place to, to learn. And I think you can agree with that than actually going into a school and putting hands on and and learning techniques that way. Oh, absolutely. Do you um, I, I know I was actually here here where we live. You mentioned Walmart. It made me think about it. It seems like every day at this Walmart here where we live, it is something crazy going on. And I actually told my wife there had been um, some some reports of some men um, trying to, you know, maybe abduct the woman, maybe the kid, whatever, you know, people following following these these women and children around do you, do you see a lot of do you have a lot of women uh, in your class that, that that do this or is it is it predominantly men or no it's a it's a mixture um i would honestly say about 50 50 um you know our uh, female um and our male students um but that is a concern um you know, not just here in the state of Georgia, but literally nationwide. Uh, human trafficking is still on an increase. In fact, my daughter just sent me a uh, little video clip. I can't remember exactly where it happened, but uh, a mother was in a store um, with her daughter. And right there in broad daylight, a uh, guy was kind of following around the store. And then he like grabbed a girl and and tried to make off with her. Same thing happened when I lived in Tampa. Uh, broad daylight in the dollar store, one o'clock one o'clock in the afternoon and a guy grabbed the 11 year old girl. I think she was 11 and, and tried to make off out the door with her and, uh, you know, had, a, a, his accomplice outside in a van ready to, you know, take her, you know, for some human sex trafficking and stuff. It's, it's, it's crazy because it's not, you know, it's not like the old days where, you know, people did bad shit when the lights went out. They're doing it in broad daylight. They're, now. they're very brazen now. They're just out there and they, they don't care. I mean, it seems to me that, you know, as a father, to have four daughters and, and as a husband and everything, it's like, I'm and I'm gone a lot, you know, so it's like, I would love for my wife to, to know these things, you know, be able to defend herself. I mean, because in the world that we're living in, it's, it's, it's terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying for men as well, but if you're, if you're a woman, you're out at your store with your kids, I mean, you don't know how to defend yourself. It's, well, you know, I feel like a lot of people sit there and get caught in that mindset of, oh, we'll give them a gun. But the problem is if, you know, in a, emergency situation if you're not trained with a gun you're giving your opponent or your assailant a gun so i feel like this would definitely be something that would benefit everybody absolutely and, and if you don't if you're scared of guns or if you're if you're uncomfortable with them you don't know how to handle them 
that that's just never going to be a good i mean if you're trained in that and you know how to do it yeah absolutely you can't give your opponent your hands no no (laughs) (laughs) so is this something you always knew you wanted to do bobby you know growing up with your father and having such a heavy military background is this something you always kind of had your eyes set on absolutely um i uh i was a a musician, uh, you know, uh, all through school, um, you know, percussionist and uh, also played a piano keyboard and all that good stuff. So my mom always thought, oh, you know, that's going to be your career and your career path. You're going to do something with music. Uh, and uh, but that actually was my secondary passion. I can personally uh, my- speak that this man is amazing at karaoke. <laughs> is he really? what, 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 uh, what kind of music do you listen to? Uh, believe it or not, as a musician, I listen to all type of music. Um, you know, I, I love now not all rap. Don't get me wrong with that. Um, I do like you know some R and B. I love rap. I love jazz. Um, I love some country. Uh, I, I even love classical music. You know, um, I mentioned Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto Number no. Five because I was actually listening to that about three days ago. <laughs> so um, I love all type of music. Um, and my mom actually thought that was going to be my path. Uh, you know, uh, but but my dad. He and I talked all the time. Again, he was my hero, and he knew. Um, and I told him from a young age, I said, I want to be just like you. I'm going to be just like you. I want to serve in the military. And I knew I wanted to serve in the military, and I knew I wanted to um, do something in law enforcement. And so I ended up having the best of both worlds when I joined the Air Force. Um, you know, the, uh, I became a special agent while I was active duty. Um, and so uh, and then I retired active duty and they hired me right back on as a civilian special agent. So I've been very blessed in that as- aspect. I've had the best of both worlds all, um, you know, through my career. Well, t- tell me a little more about uh, your, your your music background from one drummer to another. I might have to get together and jam sometime if we can hey. ever make that happen. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Oh, we got so, Matthew up there, plays the guitar, so we oh, might yeah. have to start us a band. Oh, hey, hey, I'm all about that life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I started playing the uh, drums in the sixth grade. Um, I was on the uh, drum and bugle corps uh, at uh, Hughes Middle School. And uh, I, I've just always had this this desire to just want to play the drums. Um, and then it kind of transitioned from that um, into high school. Um, I was on the stage band. Um, you know, my, my mom and dad bought me a drum set. And so they they said, hey, we'll, you know, if you, we're going to buy this drum set for you. Yeah, you can play on the jazz band and the stage band, concert band. You can do all that. But you're going to drag your ass to church on Sunday morning and play these drums in church too. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, so even gospel music, uh, which I do, uh, uh, that's when I really learned to play the piano, the keyboard, when I got knee deep in uh, learning some of the, some of those complex chords with uh, gospel music, but I was uh, on the drum line. I was on the, uh, I was first snare in high school. And then uh, I was drum major from uh, my junior and senior year in high school my claim to fame, my musical claim to fame is my band director. Um, you know, he uh, he had some hookups, the group Cameo. Uh, I'm telling my age here. Uh, the group Cameo, they were they were doing a little set. And they hey, were, I love Cameo. Yeah. yeah, yeah so they were doing some little mentorship. Uh, so I went and I tried out uh, for, the, you know, the, the mentorship program with Cameo and I made it. So, uh, you know, I got to sit in and jam with them, you know, uh, when, in, in Columbia, South Carolina. So that's my musical claim to fame is I, I actually made the group Cameo. What was that? Uh... That song, that song they had with that was a great music video. It had the guy from was it Reading Rainbow in it? 
You know, I don't remember right off. They did a there was a remake of it. I'm full of So it sounds it sounds like you've lived lived a lot of places. Where do you I mean do you do you love where you're living now or do you where's your favorite place you've ever lived or ever been for that matter? Oh goodness. Um my f- I, lo- I love living here in Valdosta. Um, I was living in Tampa. I really enjoyed living in Tampa. Um, but it just got so busy, the hustle and bustle and, you know, uh, the traffic. And it's just it didn't have that hometown feel, if you will. Uh, I'm a people person. And so uh, when I retired there, um, even when I lived there, I kept my school open because uh, Valdosta I'm not sure if you're familiar where where it sits, but we're South Georgia. I mean, literally South Georgia. We sit on the Florida border. Um, I can leave my house and drive for 17 minutes, and I'm in Florida. And so, um, I decided to move back here. But um, we're you know it's it's worked out for me, um, and so we're we're really enjoying living here. Uh, I would say, as far as overseas locations. I really enjoyed uh, with my deployment to Kyrgyzstan. I enjoyed that Um, living. uh, I would have to say probably England. England was nice minus the winters um, because when it gets cold, that rain is like freezing cold. Um, And so, I mean, I've, I've visited a lot of places. Um, I've, I've deployed to a lot of places. Um, I would say, like I said, Kyrgyzstan. I really enjoyed there. Um, I was now, there where, for- where is Kyrgyzstan? Where, where is that? Uh, that's a former Soviet bloc country, so it kind of sits by China, um, and they speak. Uh, it's a former Russian country or, or USSR country. So, uh, which incidentally, I, I learned to speak Russian over there. Um, I can't read it, can't write it, but I can speak it. What's your opinion on the situation with uh, Russia and Ukraine? I know. Hmm. <sighs> Uh, my opinion is uh, uh, <laughs> Russia's wrong, man. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're wrong is is they're wrong as two left shoes, man. I mean, I'm just I'm being real. They that uh, that whole situation is 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 jacked up. Um, unfortunately, when we you know when the door was open for them to become allies and get under NATO and all of that good stuff, you know they they didn't want to do it. Um, and hey, you know that's fine. Uh, but now, you know, here you are getting, you know, invaded by Russia and whatnot. And, you know, you're turning to folk for help, but, you know, based on the treaties and stuff, we, we, there's nothing we can do military wise anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to give you my personal opinion on the current administration. I don't, I don't try to get into politics and religion a lot, but yeah. I think it was, I, I don't think we should, I didn't, I didn't enjoy seeing my tax dollar to the, <laughs> to the tune of what was it? $82 billion. Uh, you know, uh, it, I don't like you said. I mean, if, if we have an obligation to prevent that sort of, you know, terror, terrorism, you know, taking over another country, but I mean, it seems to me that there it can't just all fall on the United States. There has to be these other countries that have to step up and 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 accept their role in this. And I mean, I, I agree with you completely that that Russia's wrong, and they obviously have. The people running that country are, are are insane, but I agree with what you're saying. I mean, it's 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 a hard pill to swallow when you see that much money going there. Mm-hmm. Exactly, especially to a country like I said, that's not that that's not even our ally. I mean, I get um, that you know, hey, you know, uh, people want to help. Okay, so if they want, you know, if they want to 
send funds over or whatever, but I don't think that it, uh, I don't think that our government, you know, uh, had, a, had a right in my opinion without me even having to say so to watch my tax dollar go, go floating over there. I didn't, um, especially because of current situations here in our own country, you know, um, one of my, uh, partners, he's a, a retired special agent. He literally, he made a, a post about it on Facebook and he broke it down and he said, uh, do you realize that every single school in our country could have gotten over a hundred thousand dollars to, uh, for whatever you want for, you know, uh, books or computers or whatever, each, each school now break that down. Each school could have gotten over a hundred thousand dollars of that 82 billion that we sent over there. So if we're not handling business here on our own, you know, uh, playground, why are we, you know, fixing up somebody else's playground, I guess, is the best. Exactly. You can't you can't affect change in the world if your own people, if your own institutions are crumbling. Mm-hmm. And regardless of how anybody feels about the current administration or the past administration, you have to realize that there's people here in this country that need help. And before we can be of any service to anyone else, we have to help our own. You know, just it, you having you know a veteran military background and everything you know as well as anybody that there's a serious problems with you know mental health with the veterans when they come the, the suicide rate in veterans is so high why is there it seems nobody cares almost it's a tra- it's a travesty the way that veterans are treated when they come back in this country yep you you hit the nail on the head and it's like okay so you've got veterans out there that are that are you know, have mental issues, uh, like you mentioned, the suicide rate is up. Some of them are homeless out there. Um, and you got to ask yourself, why is that? Okay. What are we doing to help our own people here? Um, but yet as soon as something happens somewhere else, oh, you know, uh, historically, and even to this day, here comes big brother us going to, uh, you know, save the world. We can't save everybody, you know? Absolutely. And uh, stepping back on a lighter note, uh, if you ha- were stuck on an island and had one album you could take with you, what would it be? Oh, if I had one album to take with me, uh, it would have to be a Prince when you already know. Oh, oh yes. 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 That is the perfect answer. <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. By the way, that song I was trying to think of was Word Up. I can't Word up. Head of the yeah. Line. Oh, okay. yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Well, you being a Prince fan, Gage already slipped and told us that you can see. You want to sing a little Purple Rain for us, Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> My karaoke song of choice was Kiss. Oh, that's <laughs> a great one. Yeah. yeah that's a great I also one. remember uh, Raspberry Beret. Raspberry yeah, Beret. Raspberry. Yeah, I did that one too, didn't I? Now, you're, just throwing, <laughs> you're throwing me all under this book. <laughs> Well, Bobby, this being mainly a a sports show, I I feel like I am required to ask, being in Valdosta, Georgia, are you a Bulldogs fan? And if so, congratulations on your back-to-back national championships. All right. I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, I am a Bulldogs fan, um, but – Historically, I've been a Clemson and a Longhorn fan, if truth be known. Um, but I do support uh, the Bulldogs. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, a huge congrats to on again on their back-to-back championships. Um, and I do support them. But as far as college, um, if, you know, Longhorns, like I said, Clemson, and and then of course, you know, Georgia. They would kind of fall number three there uh, on my rack and stack. 
So are there any other other sports that you uh, you've ever really, really followed closely? Anything you ever thought you, you might have a future in? Uh, well, I was a pretty good uh, running back back in the day. Um, and so and again, I mentioned that, I, you know, I was on the uh, I was on the band. And so I had a choice, obviously, you know, uh, I think it was my sophomore year. Um, I really wanted to play football um, and Coach Jones, you know, I, I ran track as well. And so uh, our coach, Coach Jones, was like, hey, I really want you to come out here and, uh, you know, let's see what you got. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to put music to the side for a minute, and I'm not going to lie to you. Um, first play, there was, a, there was this guy. Uh, his name was Travis Shaw, and uh, he, he was just solid, solid linebacker. And he lit me up. <laughs> and once he lit me up coming through that hole i said you know what okay i, I got a choice here <laughs> take this punishment pick back, those, pick back up those drumsticks so i pick back up the drumsticks and <laughs> but uh i've always you know uh, i've always enjoyed sports i still enjoy sports um even you know martial arts competitions and and whatnot um so you know but but i Again, music was kind of my thing, uh, you know, uh, versus, uh, you know, and now track season when it came around uh, my, you know, I wasn't the, the fastest, but I was the fourth fastest uh, sprinter in the, in the state of South Carolina in high oh, school. Wow. So, uh, you know, and is there anything you can't do? Uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm sitting here. I was thinking when he was like, my body is a, my body is a weapon. I'm like, my body's a fucking marshmallow. I'm over here, like, like you know, like I need to come down there and take some glasses or something. I'll be honest. I feel like Dosekis chose the wrong uh, most interesting man. Absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. Well, I am also required to ask this question um, by my fellow colleagues here at Thought Language, Bobby. Mm -hmm. You said you had a little bit of a boxing background. Um, you, you think you could knock Butterbean out? I think I could take Butterbean. You think so? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, do you keep up with uh, MMA? Any, uh, like currently? I have not been able to really uh, uh, keep up with um, MMA, I, I'd say probably over about the past, uh, I'd say five or six months at least, um, between my school and, uh, you know, just traveling all over and then making trips to South Carolina. Um, you know, unfortunately, my mom is, has not been in the best health for about the past year. So I've been having to make trips up there. So um, I haven't had a, a lot of time to, you know, sit and keep up with and watch MMA. Um, I do have some favorite fighters, of course. Um, I'm more of the old school kind of error, you know, with, uh, you know, the Rashad Evans or the, you know, Diaz and, you know, the, the, that kind of crew, Sylvia, you know, uh, so, but I haven't had a real chance to keep up, uh, like, I, I, I'm going to, um, I'm absolutely going to have to get back, uh, on the MMA game and, uh, find out who's who in the zoo and, uh, and, but, uh, but who, who, who's your favorite fighters as it, as it stands right now? Oh, that's tough. I mean, I think the, the greatest of all time is probably John Jones, but I think my favorite is probably Anderson Silva. If you had to pick mm -hmm. a favorite and a greatest, who would yours be? Well, I would have to go with Silva as well. Uh, you know, phenomenal fighter. Absolutely. Jones, really, really good uh, striker, and those elbows are just nasty. Oh, yeah, just so intelligent. His, the mm -hmm. fighter intelligence that he has. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you know of any any – 
fighters or or is there any local fighters in your air, area that that take the craft classes to improve their skill um i've had a couple of them um i've i got out of it a little bit um of training mma fighters um i used to uh you know uh, train them uh, anthony uh or I, Anthony Smith, uh, he he started with me a long time ago, and now he's actually Doctor Smith. So oh, uh, yeah, huge congrats to him. Um, I trained him with his MMA uh, debut in the whole nine yards. Uh, Switch to the uh, the opposite side of the spectrum, there. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, from fucking him up to healing him. <laughs> hey, I broke his song. Let me, I'll fix it for you though. Yeah, <laughs> that would be like the ultimate disrespect. Just just fuck some dude up and then take him to the hospital and then sew him back up. Like, or, or the ultimate job security. Yeah, that is one one way to absolutely. Keep job security. <laughs> Let me fuck you up in here and take you and doctor you up. So. <laughs> well, Bobby, we can't thank you enough for joining us on the show today, man. This has been fantastic. You are welcome back anytime that you want to come on this show. We love you. You're part of the foul language family forever now, my man. Hey, I appreciate it. I absolutely love you guys, man. Um, you guys are doing great things. You're going to continue to do great things, man. And uh, um, anytime you want me back, uh, I'll be more than happy to, to jump right back on here, man. And uh, we'll get it in again. Well, we appreciate you, man. Shout out your, your school there one more time. All right. Shout out to Krav Maga 911 Valdosta, Georgia. Thank you so much, man. We will talk to you soon. Take it easy, brother. All right, brother.